This sermon, Raising the Evangelism Temperature, was preached by Tim Lambros on Sunday, October 2nd, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 18. As Tom mentioned, we have a three-part series that we're doing on evangelism. Last week, we had the privilege of having Jim Donahue, fellow pastor from our Philadelphia church. I strongly encourage you, if not gone, uh, if you weren't here and didn't hear that message, uh, outstanding message from Luke 15, um, I have the privilege of addressing you as one of our pastors today, and I'm looking forward to all that God has put uh, into this message. And then next Sunday, kind of one of our own, Kyle Holton, who's planted a church from this church over in Santa Ana, is going to be here. I believe he's preaching from Jonah 3, and we uh, want three different views and equipping and training in evangelism, and we believe this is uh, what God would have for us. So I'm privileged to represent our pastoral team and share from Acts 18 again. So let me explain why we're going back in the book of Acts. Um, I wanted, if one of our pastors is going to preach in this series, um, that we have something that gets us back to our mission. You know, our mission, we exist as a church to glorify God through the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe God wants to grow our proclamation as a church. I titled this, Raising the Evangelism Temperature. And we're going to ask the question today, well, how does God do that? How does God raise the thermometer of an area of the Christian life in individuals and in a local church? And I hope that we can answer that question from Acts, going back and looking at Acts chapter 18, 9, 10, and 11, because we're convinced of this, and I believe you would agree, God's word is inexhaustible. But we do believe there's one truth that God wants to get across in each section of Scripture, and we heard that. And if you you didn't hear that from Derek uh, about four weeks ago, go back and listen. But many applications. So this this will have a feel of an application or extended application from this this, uh, text we did uh, early in September. But let me pray, and and then we'll jump in. Father God, thank you that you are the great evangelist. Thank you that you sent your son to seek and save the lost. Lord, thank you that image from last week that you are the great shepherd going out into danger to find the lost sheep, persevering and then rejoicing when you find the sheep. Thank you for that great truth. And as we seek to allow you to raise the temperature of evangelism in our lives and in this church, we now submit to your word yet again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I did this backwards, so let me have you stand now. I'm just going to read verses 9, 10, and 11, but if you're new around here, we give additional reverence to the reading of God's word by standing. Acts 18, verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Please take your seats. Years ago in the 90s, I worked with a guy that was about 20 years my age, so I was moving through my 30s, and he was moving through his 50s into his early 60s, and he coined this one phrase. He was always at the doctor's office, always had problems, and so when he'd come back, he'd always say, man, getting old is bad for your health. (laughs) Well, now that I'm 62, I understand what he's saying. But the other thing that happens as you get older, that is a reality, is your friends die. And many of you were aware I grew up in a family of eight boys, and we lost two brothers, one in December and one in January. 
And I've been around death. My dad, father, my, my, my dad died. My father died when I was 24, uh, still pretty young. Uh, but, but the pace has increased. Uh, two weeks ago, I sent out to a couple of people that were here, uh, Ken Burdett, one of gentleman that was an intern from our pastor's college for two years here, actually part of the church for three years. He passed away after a long fight with uh, brain cancer. And then this week, probably the longest friendship I've had with someone who's an unbeliever, Larry passed away. And that has an impact on you. I love weddings. We have a wedding coming up. I, I like funerals and memorial services because in my mind, God gathers up unbelievers that would not normally be in a church or at a service, and we get to preach the gospel to them. Get to preach the gospel at a wedding, fun celebration. You preach the gospel at a funeral or memorial service because people will be there that probably have never heard the gospel so directly preached. But at a funeral, you're faced with the reality of mortality in a real way. And it's one of the few times people pause. And that has occurred to me as we built up to this evangelism series. And then Jim Donahue came, and I'm hearing about other friends that are passing away. Three of those four I mentioned, Ken Burdett certainly is with Jesus, but the other three. I have no earthly sense or evidence that they belong to the Lord. And you don't have to ponder too long about the wrath of God on an unbeliever to be frightened in your boots. And so I'm asking the question, well, Lord, as I'm aging and I have friends now that are passing away, how do you raise the temperature in my life? How do I raise that? Could I have done more? Inevitably, you ask those questions. We don't throw out what we know about God. God elects, God saves, but we know that God brings people into our lives for particular reasons and so I want to bring that question to us today. And I believe we can get some answers from this text with additional application. So in chapter 18, verse 9, Derek did 1 through 17. And we learned that God visited Paul in a unique way. Paul had this moment of weakness. We learned that fear had gripped him. And we were asked the question, what are you afraid of? when it comes to going and speaking because God is able, God is powerful, God is faithful. And so we can be hopeful in our evangelism. And so we are instructed to not give in to fear when we're doing evangelism because Paul, who's no super Christian, even he was about to give in to fear, shut his mouth and not go on speaking the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're just going to ask that question of this text. So how did Paul raise the thermometer in Paul's life? How did he raise the temperature? How did he help Paul get out of this state of, of, of fear, paralyzing fear? And we'll see from Paul's life that the way God did it to him is how he's going to do it with us and how he's going to do it with us as a church. So three points, one from each verse here. Point number one from verse nine, don't fear but go. The Lord said to Paul in this vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. Paul needed to hear this. God brings this unique word to encourage him. Encourage him to what? God encouraged him to call him, to, to remind him of the call of what he's all about. This was his life. This was what he was about. This is what God saved him for. This was his identity to be God's messengers in church planting and as an apostle. And so Paul's life really, as we were well instructed, he's no super Christian. He has to wrestle with fear too. I think you heard last week, Jim Donahue, very evangelistic. He gets into fear. It's common with all of us. It's common with all of us. So whether it's the apostle Paul or Jim Donahue, or the most extroverted person in the church, or the most people person that you know, this example speaks boldly to us that we're going to face fears as God raises the temperature of this area of the Christian life. But Paul's experience is every believer's experience, and we can learn from him. 
So we are called to go. Every believer is called to go, to go on speaking as God gives opportunity. It's for all of us. The reality of fear is there, but this call is for all of us. You're not promised a personal visit from God. Don't go there. But we can learn from Paul's example. So three quick things in this call to go that I just want to bring clarification to before, before we move on. Let's define evangelism. Evangelism is proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ so people repent and put their faith in Jesus. It's proclaiming the truths about Jesus Christ. Now look, relationship building is important. Positioning yourself with unbelievers is important. Inviting people to a bridge course is important. Having people over that are unbelievers into your home, hospital, is important. But evangelism, let's restrict evangelism to when we actually have the opportunity to explain Jesus, teach Jesus, proclaim Jesus at the cross. All the rest of them are important or good, but they're not evangelism by a pure definitional sake. So I just want to address this phrase that gets thrown around. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Now what I like about that is it combines gospel demonstration and gospel proclamation. We believe that. That's at the heart of our mission. We think that's right at the heart of Scripture. I like that it said Christians should always be preaching the gospel. What I don't like the is the misplaced emphasis. Use words when necessary. Maybe all you gotta do is say, use words as God opens the door, as the Spirit leaves, because that's God's means. Proclaiming the actual truth of Jesus at some point in time is important. So a little clarification on just what is evangelism. Secondly, Evangelism as a discipline. In this call to go, this call to speak, we believe it's good and right and biblical to think of evangelism as a discipline, a spiritual discipline. This is not a separate ministry for the uh, 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 extroverted and obnoxious like Tim. This is like Bible reading. This is like prayer. You don't say, Lord, I'm no good at worship, so I'm just not going to participate in that part of the Christian life. Lord, I don't like reading, I don't like getting into the word, so I'm just going to exit that part of the Christian life. No. So we don't do this with evangelism. Some are more effective than others. We're all called to go. We are all have people in our lives that God wants us to go on speaking and not give in to our fears. Lots of ways of doing this. Some people like direct evangelism. John Hans always asking me, when do we go out and tell people about Jesus? That's direct evangelism. Maybe that intimidates you to no end, but that's a way of doing evangelism. Most of us are used to friendship evangelism, are used to relationship evangelism. That's what you do with your neighbors, your coworkers, and so forth. Uh, and, and honestly, the pastoral team, we think you're strong at this. We think this is a strength of the church. We constantly hear John talking about people he's sharing the gospel at Gap Ministries, Teresa reaching out to dog lovers in her neighborhood, Brian Trask preaching to, to, to uh, 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 elderly folks and their families in his care homes, Derek inviting unbelievers on motorcycle rides, Angelo down at the university, the Arondas all over their neighborhood, and of course Robin and Lynn, just about everyone they meet. <laughs> Personal evangelism, I believe, we believe, is a strength in the church. But to raise the temperature, we're now adding these bridge courses. What's a bridge course? Well, go to bridgecourse.org. Tons of great information there. Great site. But a bridge course is something designed primarily for unbelievers. Not exclusively, but it addresses the 10 most difficult questions that people tend to ask. Are the scriptures reliable? Why doesn't God save everyone? What about suffering? How good are you? All these questions get addressed in a home with brownies and coffee in a non-threatening environment. And listen, don't invite people to a 10-week course on the introduction to the Christian faith. Invite people a week from Monday to my house and a week from Wednesday to the McKenna's house and say, come check it out. 
You'll know if it's going to be a good fit for you and if you want to continue. Come check out the first night. And then you offer to pick him up and drive him over. Can I speak that directly? Okay. <laughs> That's another way to do it. That's corporate evangelism. The church is coming alongside all your personal evangelism. Instead of that random conversation at the homeschool park day or at the water cooler at work or when you're getting mail uh, uh, with that neighbor on, on the way to the mailbox, now you've got a way to intentionally bring people to sit under good teaching, be loved on by a small community of our church, and trust God for the results. That, that's a corporate way of doing evangelism to complement all the personal and relationship evangelism that's going on. Third thing is motivation. What, what is our evangelistic motivation? We are called to go. How are we to be? Addie Bridge courses might not touch upon your motivation. Uh, uh, but God wants to raise this temperature in our church, in our individual lives. But how do I overcome my fears? How do I overcome my fears and go on speaking? What does that look like? Well, mo- a lot of ways to be motivated from Scripture. I'll give you a short list of them, but my practical application here that extends what we learned four weeks ago is start with the deepest aspects of your heart for motivation. Don't start with activity. Start with the deepest aspects of the motivation of your heart. Think about it. Simple obedience is a good motivator. When you obey God's word, you position yourself for grace. That's great all by itself. The reality of hell as I pondered possible brothers and a longtime friend tormented in hell motivates me to talk to people, family, and friends. Future eternity with Christ is a fantastic way to be motivated, especially when you're getting older and your body's falling apart. But at the deepest level, this is what I want you to consider. Meditate on the glory of Jesus Christ. Meditate, learn. Sovereign Grace University, you're going to learn about how God saved you, how the glories of Christ came into your life. That will motivate you to evangelism. Romans 5, Romans 1, Paul introduces this letter, 5 and 6. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name, for the sake of of the name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. Third John, verse seven, they sent out some, some uh, missionaries, church punchers, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Listen, church, do a little study this week. We don't have time today to jump in. Matthew 28, study the four alls. The glory of God is that he's in all authority. He calls us to go to all nations. We are to teach and preach all that he has commanded, and he is with us always. The four alls of that helps you see the glory and grandeur and the power and the authority of our God. But Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2, 4 Show us the glory and the sweetness of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. So church, I submit this to you for your practical application on this first point. Meditate, so meditate on the glories of Christ that it becomes personal to you. It becomes offensive when people claim they could do a better job of this world than God. It becomes personal when God in Christ does not get the glory due his name. That will motivate you on this call. Here's an example. John Stott, great saint from our generation, died in 2011. His books, his teachings will definitely be multi- generational and this author I'm reading 
went to the funeral, and his administrative assistant of 55 years, there's a story in and of that. Pay attention, Sierra. In her eulogy said, and I quote, the closer I got to him, the more integrity I saw in him. In her eulogy, according to this author that was there, it said, she worked hard to commend John Stott and make sure people saw him in the right esteem because she had seen so much on a close personal basis she knew his character deserved it. Love John Stott, but he's a man. He's a man. Tico Rice, in his outstanding book, Honest Evangelism, he was the guy there. He writes this, The closer you get to Jesus, the more you read of him in the Bible and see him at work in your life. Doctrine of salvation next week, I keep pointing there. The more you read of him, you meditate you digest the glories of Christ from Scripture and see and observe his work in your life, the more glory you will see and the more you will long for him to be treated as he deserves. And before you finish this, that study, go look at Paul in Acts 17. In verse 16 it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, remember Paul saw all these idols, What's going through his mind? Doesn't tell us exactly. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. We don't know exactly what was provoking, but I bet you some of that was. These people don't give glory to where it deserves, and this is my Savior, and this is personal to me. Therefore, I will go and speak. And so in the synagogues, in one text, in the marketplace, and anyone that would listen to him, he preached and he reasoned and he taught. I think it was personal. This place does not honor the glories of Jesus and give him what he deserves. So we're called to go. We'll have these fears we're not super Christians, but at the deepest level, if the glories of Jesus are reverberating in your hearts, pulsating in your hearts, you'll get over those fears. And maybe, and maybe we'll be like the brothers in Acts chapter 4, 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. His glory deserves us going and speaking. Okay, enough on point one. I should have warned the children's ministry people. This is not going to be a short message. So we don't give in to fear. We go. We understand what evangelism is. We understand there's different types. There's personal relationship, corporate, but at the deepest level. With all the motivations we have from Scripture, it's very personal to us that Jesus gets the glory due his name. Number two, don't fear, but be comforted. comforted. Verse 10, for I am with you, this is God speaking, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. Church, so excited. This message is right before Sovereign Grace University because doctrine matters. Doctrine is meant to help and bring comfort. If you're not used to the word doctrine, doctrine simply means everything that the Bible teaches on a certain topic. So next week, you're going to study, begin studying everything that the Bible teaches about how God saves people. And it's meant to function in your life. It's not meant to just add head knowledge. It's meant to do something in your heart. So doctrine helps us to not give in to fear, but be comforted. And it helps in evangelism. It can truly function in a way that's very practical. 
So off the start, off the start, what do we know about God? God is the great evangelist. God is the one that has the plan. This isn't something that Tim and Jim Donahue dreamed up. We're just part of God's plan. Church, God cares about those people who are your family and friends, neighbors and coworkers, way more than you and I do. God has a plan. God has some that are going to repent of their sins and be reconciled back to him. We saw in Luke 15, what a great example. Jesus is the great shepherd. He leaves the 99 that's comfortable and he goes out in difficult terrain until the job is done and he finds the lost sheep. Doctrinal knowledge is meant to function in our life. Function in what way? It brings comforts when it gets difficult. Like I said, Paul's life is our life. What happened with Paul? Paul was just about to give in to fear and stop speaking, and God came and encouraged him. Nothing amazing. I mean, I don't know if, if everything God said got recorded here, but I can see God saying, uh, Paul, Matthew 28, go make disciples. Can I just remind you of what I saved you for? You know what I mean? It's not like some new deep revelation. He was caught up in the third heaven. and No. Go on speaking. Don't be afraid. I will be with you. That was the same promise from Matthew 28. I will. He just encourages him to do what he needs to do. And that's what doctrine does for us. You will have times that you fear someone's response. You will have times that you fear what's going to happen to your reputation. Maybe you fear even losing your job. Doctrine, what we know about God, what we know about how God works in evangelism is meant to bring comforts. Now, church, last week, we learned that evangelism takes work. I don't know if anyone has a testimony, but uh, I'd love to hear it of someone that walks up to you and says, you know, I've really been convicted of my sin. Can you share the gospel with me so I can get saved? Doesn't usually work that way, does it? Uh, a week from Monday, people won't just randomly show up at my house. Hey, I heard about this bridge course. I want to I I be a part of this. No, we invite people. We proclaim the truth. And guess what? People are going to push back. People are going to think you're weird. People are going to think you're peculiar, using a biblical word. Sometimes people might get hostile. Let's be honest about it. Sometimes there's negative ramifications when you share Jesus with certain relationships. And sometimes our proclamation falls on a hungry heart. So as I get more practical, think, yes, there's hostility, but there's hunger. Yes, there's difficulty. You're going to fear certain things, but there's people out there that are hungry in your network of relationships that God has anointed you to go and proclaim and to speak to. This is so encouraging. Paul had God's word that said, no one's going to harm you. We, we don't have that promise. Don't, don't, don't go there with this, this promise. It's not a universal promise. We are probably going to face some challenging situation. And so let me just speak to you pastorally. 15 years ago, we had some evangelism training. I thought it was a blast. People in the church probably were petrified, but we gathered on Friday nights over the course of a couple of months. A few of us by twos would go out and just talk to people in the mall, see if they would have a spiritual or an evangelistic conversation with us. Then we'd come back and share our testimonies and pray. Some stayed and prayed. And I remember back then with the church pastorally encouraging, look, it's not like you go over to the Foothills Mall and guys have AK-47s and AR-15s and they shoot you. It's like people are kind of open to hearing. Them. And I, I felt myself persuading people that it's okay out there. But you know, today's different. And I think we need to be honest. People take it offense at what we believe. In the old days, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you preached Jesus, and in a little condescending way, they're like, oh, that's good for you, Tim. Now you preach Jesus, and they're absolutely offended. We, we heard this last week, but it's worth repeating. 
when you preach there's only one way to God, people might hate you. When you say that Jesus and his work on the cross is our only hope to be reconciled to Almighty God, judgment day is for believers. Yeah, the Christian God will judge unbelievers. You believe in the sanctity of human life from conception? Male leadership? Where did you come from? That's so archaic. God's word is not just relevant. It is the authority for the Christian believer. You got to understand, today it's different. These kind of truths. Oh boy, you mentioned hell. Or you mentioned that you're to be a part of a local church and humbly submit yourself to other people to speak into your life and hold you. All these things are not just... That's good for you guys. Good job, Sovereign God. I'm really glad it's working for you. It's downright offensive. So it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible is very honest about this. Matthew 10, 16. Go and study this on your own. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, Jesus said to the 72. Boy, John 15, upper room, Jesus is preparing them for his departure. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Look, the Bible's very honest. And I think we need to be honest. And I was grateful as Jim came. He was very honest. This is hard work. And so I want to draw from a present day kind of theologian that can help us, but none other than Rocky Balboa. Slightly off theologically, but. (laughs) But the reality is, you're going to take hits. People will be hostile with you. That's what I define as a hit. People might take retribution. I know I'm not motivating any of you here, but we're being honest. Thank God in other countries, it's, well, thank God. Thank God it's not as bad in this country. Maybe your reputation gets soured. Maybe you face a little hostility, but you're not getting your head cut off for what you believe. They're not finding out you're a Christian and they take your wife and kids and put them in a concentration camp until you repent of your conviction. But we do face difficulty that's different than in generations past. And that's why this thought of don't, Give in to fear, but be comforted like God comforted Paul by simply reminding him, I am with you. I've got people out there that I've appointed you to go and proclaim and speak to that are going to get saved. In other words, using my language, yes, there's going to be some hostility. You see that in the text there? But there's hungry people out there. And what happened? Paul obeyed. 
Paul didn't give in to his fears, and we had a church planted in Corinth. There were some that were hungry. So there's potential hostility, but there's also hunger. You're going to take some hits. Let's just be prepared for it. It's easy to give up. It's like eating healthy. It's like exercise. It's so easy to drift away from what's good. You've got to be intentional, sometimes even vigilant, or you will drift. Last week, Jim dared to say, you know, evangelism might be the hardest part of the Christian life. And I think we need to start having regular conversations in our community groups and when we're having hospitality and coffee, you know, hey, I took some hits this week that everybody understands what you're talking about. So how do we overcome this fear? Well, we learned last week that we all have a certain pain line. We all have a certain pain line. And many times in relationships, as you share the gospel, you're going to tiptoe up to this pain, the pain of them thinking you're weird, the pain of your reputation being stuck, the pain of being uncomfortable in this relationship. I was in a conversation the other night, and I tried not to go places, uh, but just examine my own heart, but we were talking about inviting people to a bridge course. And this friend said, well, I have a lot of trust built up with this person, and I'm not sure inviting her to a bridge course, it, it might really damage what's been built. Easy to be judgmental and all, but I thought to myself, how many relationships am I in that I might not verbally say that but I'm right up to the pain line of this relationship might fundamentally change, but this person isn't living and giving glory to my Jesus, and I am called to push through what might be uncomfortable as God gives opportunity. I think we should regularly be talking about taking hits and the pain line as we are seeking to Put to death fear, be comforted by what we know about God, and press and push forward into these relationships and conversations. Listen, add to your study this week, Paul in Athens and Paul in Corinth. In Athens, he's looking around, and he's provoked. I'm sure he had some fears. But he pressed in. He got into the synagogues. He went to the marketplace. Might have even been working in the marketplace there. He's talking to anyone that he could talk to. I don't know what his pain line was, but we see the results. He proclaimed Jesus. And what happens when you proclaim Jesus? Some get hostile, call you a fool. Some have questions, and they need more conversation. And some receive the truth. About Jesus. We see that over and over again in the book of Acts, and I don't think it's any different for us. And so we just know this, we understand this, and we press on, overcoming our fear, but being comforted to get past that pain line, knowing something about God that brings that comfort. So we can learn from Paul both in Corinth, where he almost gave in to fear and pressed on. He was definitely backing off of his pain line, right? Paul's like, I'm not going to know. This is going to be horrible. And God came and encouraged him to press in. So don't give in to fear. Understand you're going to take hits. We all have a pain line. It's good for us to examine that and ask tough questions about that fear so that we can raise this temperature, raise this thermometer in our individual lives in our church. All right, last point. Don't fear, but be a means. Verse 11, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Teaching the word of God among them. Paul pushed through. We see that. Whatever his pain line was, God encouraged him. He went on. A church got planted. He found those that were hungry. He put up with those that were hostile he continued conversations with those that have questions. 
But what's not as obvious in this text, but is all over Scripture, God uses means. That is a theological truth that we can embrace and overcome our fear. God uses less than super Christians like you and me as a means of his gospel proclamation, as a means of his gospel of grace to people. Now think about it. I love to do this. All-powerful God that runs the universe. He could have communicated to the Corinthians in many ways. Imagine if every day at 12 noon, the glories of Jesus were proclaimed in the sky, just miraculously showed up. Imagine if palm trees just bent over in some way to point them to Jesus. God controls everything, but he uses means. And he uses you and I to reach those people that we have relationship with. And so let me just know, this is a temptation. It is with me. I'm sure it is with you. But you're in a conversation, and you get done, you're like, oh, man, if only Robin and Lynn were here, they would have just said it so much more gracious than me, you know? Or, oh, if John Hahn was here, man, he would have pulled out the Ray Comfort stuff and really probably got them sick. Don't go there. You are the most important person God has as a means of grace to those in relationship as God calls you and as God opens these doors. Take a moment this week and think about your testimony. I bet if we had every one of you share your testimony today, it would always involve a person. God used someone, a means, a non-superstar to proclaim the gospel. Maybe it was your parents over years, kids, correcting you and teaching you and persuading you and pointing you to Christ that you cannot obey even our household rules apart from the grace of Jesus working in your life. You will fall short all the time. Maybe it was someone who directly, like my testimony, just walk into my chemistry professor's office, never met me. In five minutes, I'm in tears. He's in Romans. And I believe I walked out of there saved. Just God uses means. We overcome our fears and we embrace this call that God uses means. So part of that is just a theological grasping that God has a call on my life to go. Yes, there might be some pain. There might be some, some uh, nervousness. But I've got a set of people in my life that God wants me to proclaim the good news to. So let's eagerly accept this call and not think that the superstars are called to do it. But then you have to ask yourself, getting more practical, Okay, God uses means. God has a set of people that he's put in my life. Trust me, your neighbor is not there accidentally. Those coworkers are not there accidentally. Those family members are part of God's providence. But we have to ask ourselves, well, self, if God has called me to this and he wants me to be the means of gospel grace, Am I ready? I thought that was a particularly good point for our church last week when Jim said, look, you don't need classes and equipping to build friendships. It's in the DNA of Christians. This church does it outstanding. Building friendships. But do you have a plan when God opens the door? And I love these these, these categories of conversation. Sometimes... You just got to be bold to start a conversation. That person next to you on the plane, that person you're waiting in the dentist's office. Sometimes you just got to say, I wonder what God wants to do here. Hi, how are you? Maybe that's your first area of growth. Sometimes you move it to a spiritual conversation. Hey, what are your spiritual beliefs? Oh, you grew up in the Bible Belt. What are your spiritual beliefs now that you live in Arizona? A spiritual conversation. And then thirdly, there's evangelistic conversations. Well, who do you say Jesus is? Have you ever read the four Gospels and learned about the Jesus of the, you know? So, 
Conversations, just being social. Secondly, spiritual conversations. Thirdly, evangelistic gospel conversations. Are you prepared? If not, how will you get prepared? I'll show you. Grab a simple track. Have a structure in your mind to go by. Have something you can follow in your hand. If you're called to be the means of God's grace to people, let's get prepared. That's raising the temperature in the church. There's many good ways out there. Uh, There's many good materials out there to learn. Just learn one. Just learn one. You don't have to learn the one that I like. You don't have to learn the one that John Hahn likes. Just learn one. So that when God gives you opportunity, you're equipped to go there, taking them to truths about Jesus. This is the work of evangelism, putting to death our fears, being equipped to be that means of grace. So here's your practical application. First, embrace your role as a means of grace. That's a theological embracing that God not only calls me to go to speak, but also to be ready to be that means as he gives opportunity with these people that he's brought into my life. Secondly, begin to pray that God fills you with the spirit to push through your pain line. If you're a means of grace, you're no superstar, all of us are in that boat, no super Christians in this room, there'll be times that you back down. Here's your practical application. Christ died on the cross So the Spirit of God could be placed in you. So in those moments, you could be filled with the Spirit and take that baby step of boldness when you're tiptoeing up to that pain line. Christ died to not only reconcile us back to God, but to equip us for what He calls us to. And over and over again, we see it here with Paul. I am with you. Oh, that's all very comforting to know that God's, like we mentioned, the one that's the evangelist, God has a plan. But here, he sent his spirit for those moments. What have we seen over and over in the book of Acts? They got filled with the spirit in Acts 2. They got filled with the spirit in Acts 4, especially in Acts 4, for boldness to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's for us. That's for us. When you're examining your heart a little bit clearer on, yeah, I fear my reputation. Yeah, I fear comfort and convenience. Pray that God would fill you with the Spirit to overcome that and be that means of grace. And then third, I already mentioned it. Take small moments of boldness to trust the Lord. Take small moments of boldness. Growth will will come as you take baby steps in this. I want to end with this story and then I'll I'll wrap it up. Another one of these moments that just has me contemplating. Um, When I first became a Christian, I joined a Baptist church near the downtown and really, really grew. It was a really good season for my wife and I. And being the quiet, introverted guy that I am, um, I started to go out on Monday. Now, this will blow you away, but this is in the 80s. I started to go out on Monday nights where uh, people in the church would take the visitor cards and go stop by their house and see if they were unsaved and preach the gospel. So we literally would go up to people that visited and knock on the door and say, can we talk to you about Jesus? Yeah, it's a different world now. Um, So one night, me and my buddy went out, and uh, I think we just had one card. We went there. They weren't home. So it's like, hey, we're here. Let's go do something. So I said, let's go by uh, Lori, uh, Adonna's house, a girl I work with that I've been sharing the gospel with a little bit, and see if we can tell her about Jesus. So we go to Donna's house. Donna's not home, but Lori's home. Now, this is, again, weird. So we say, two guys, can we come in and tell you about Jesus? (laughs) She lets us in. 
We tell her about Jesus, and she gets saved. And my wife and I got to watch her grow in the Lord, become part of that church. She moved to Seattle. She was a single mom, married this great guy. We would update every year with our Christmas cards. It was a precious, precious thing. You love those. But in that same season, I went to work for my buddy Larry that I just found out passed away. And I kept up that friendship with Larry for I think 39 years. And as I went through the inventory of my unbelieving friends, I realized he's, he's my oldest unbelieving friend. And as I examined my heart, not, not in condemnation, but in, in, in trying to go, since all my friends are dying, um, I, I just asked the Lord, boy, did I fear disrupting that easy friendship. We wouldn't see each other for months. We'd run into each other. Hey, you want to go get some coffee? You want to, oh, it's great. I know I shared some of the gospel, maybe the gospel with him. He actually visited our church over the years from time to time. But there, there was a sense of, I don't know that I really understood that you don't have very many 39 unbelievers that are your friends and that I was a means of grace to him. And I want to raise the temperature in my life of friends like that because they are precious that those friendships continue even though your lives might be very, very moving in a very different direction. So let me wrap up with this. Don't give in to fear. Allow the glory of Christ to be deeply felt in our hearts. That will be motivation uh, will be sufficient enough. Don't give in to fear. We all have our pain lines. We're going to take some hits. But let what we know about God comfort us so we can not back down and push through to find these people that are hungry. And the last, don't give to fear, but accept this privileged role of being God's means of grace. Pray to take baby steps of boldness as we move out from here. And then all that, I, I, I want to end the same way Jim ended last week. It's just so helpful. Wrap all that up with what we know about God. God is a patient God. That, that, that's so comforting to me. God is patient. He's powerful. He's able. He's faithful. And we can slowly raise the temperature, the thermometer in our church, knowing that God is not going to go, Tim, What's the deal? It's like 42 years. Are you ever going to learn? No, no. God is faithful to help us in this. So wrap all that practical up application uh, in a nice little bow with the doctrine of God's patience.